You are listening to LMC Cast, a production of LMC Media. As COVID vaccines continue to be distributed across the world, all of us have begun trying to return to our normal lives. Though while we were forced this past year to recede into our homes, we were given the strange benefit of seeing a world without our daily impacts. In Venice, the lack of pollution has brought clean water and sea life into the city. Air quality has also improved over the last months, creating even clearer skylines in cities like New York and LA. So in honor of the 51st anniversary of Earth Day, we at LMCcast hope to return some attention to the looming threat of climate change and examine small ways we can each build upon what we've learned this past year. Looking at the history of climate activism and the public response, it's hard for one not to notice a trend of procrastination. Over the years, we see that few will argue with the reality of the situation, though very little action has been taken, both on a collective and individual level. In order to try to better understand our hesitation to change, I sat down with Dr. Michael Brewstein. My name is Michael Brewstein, and I'm a clinical psychologist. Initially, what I wanted to better understand was his professional interpretation of the public's response to climate change over the last 50 years. I think there is a change in the attitude over the years. I think, however, attitudinal change doesn't necessarily equate to behavioral change. And I think that's something that remains to be seen is that I do think there's a shift in attitude, but can that actually move towards behavior? Translating that attitude into action seems to be the final step. So what is it that will actually motivate us to change? When one recognizes or one sees that they value something and that their behavior is dissonant with what they're doing. And that dissonance is something that bothers people, that causes a, a distress. And so resolving that can lead to change. Though it is blatant that when you reach a societal level, the requirement for change dramatically increases. Well, I, I think that what happens is that when there's a groundswell in movements, that they're also, and a very big factor of change is social pressure. And when people are in a group are doing it, um, it could catch fire. The Action Research Group, based out of Rydneck High School, is one of several prime local examples of such a groundswell. My name is Gabe Miller and I am in 12th grade. My name is Dylan Spencer uh, and I'm a senior I am Kyle, I'm in ninth grade. I'm Dimitri, I'm a sophomore. I'm Sophia and I'm in ninth grade too. I'm Henry Robertson, I'm a junior. And I'm not in any grade. I'm the facilitator of the Action Research Group. Valerie, how long has the Action Resource Group been around? It's really been 10 years that we've been running this program and it's grown. It it's also has a community-based uh, component to it. But we've been teaching, and I say we because I developed this program with Dr. William Tobin at Duke University. And we've been running it because we believe very strongly that students in high school can do social science research. We designed the studies around challenges that organizations uh, tell us about. Mm -hmm. And then we donate empirical research to them so they can develop policy. 
kids often say they want to make a difference and this is making a difference at the policy level mm -hmm. so some of the work we've done has actually ended up in various legislative um, actions and i think with the green light new york actually uh law so we're you know that's part of the thrill <laughs> i myself never had this drive or motivation to take action so what is it that separates these kids from mindsets like my own when when one recognizes or one sees that they value something and that their behavior is dissonant with what they're doing and that dissonance is something that bothers people that causes a, a distress and so resolving that can lead to change and when speaking to the students of the action research group I continually got the impression that they're motivated by much more than extra credit. Over the four years that I've been in the program, I've worked with people older than me and younger than me. And you don't join action research just for whatever reason. You join it because you're passionate about it. I joined last year and I thought that it was quite interesting. The conversations that we have are very thought provoking. And I feel like the amount of impact that our projects can actually have on our community is quite inspiring. And being able to like physically see the results of what you did and see that it's so close to home really and in your community just, it's different than doing a normal project like how I would do for my science fair where it might be something more general. But beyond the importance of raising awareness about these local and global issues, they'd clearly come to learn how to analyze and disseminate facts versus opinions, something which I imagine is rare to find in such an age group. I feel like just all these projects in general sort of reinforce the importance of research because when you research something and you write out a paper or a survey or whatever you have, like people take you more seriously and they take whatever study you take seriously and then they can implement whatever idea you had. I just feel like this program sort of like reinforces the importance of research. Sometimes I'm talking to my friends or something and they'll just say something like 80% of people are, you know, believe this. And I'm like, okay, where'd you hear that from? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I just kind of heard it. And then I don't, I want, don't want to feel like a rude person. And I still love them. I, I just think that this group is so valuable because there's so much information thrown at us more than previous generations. So I just think it's really important for kids to be able to decipher between these things, know how to identify a source. And that's something I think we all kind of have learned. As a result of their focus on facts over clickbait, they've been able to bring awareness to commonly overlooked issues. So, so the village of Larchmont recently passed legislation that bans the usage of gas-powered leaf blowers starting in, in January of next year. Both municipal leaders mentioned that we found it super interesting, mostly because leaf blowers aren't considered an extremely detrimental piece of technology regarding emissions, th though they are, and they also have an extensive list of other ways in which they, they hurt the environment. Things like bringing up particulates, uh, as well as the vibrations and noise that, that come from them, um, and the extensive damages to, to the nervous system of those that operate them as a result of such. We, 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 we took that and decided that it would be valuable to survey community members about their awareness of and uh, willingness to support uh, further legislation regarding uh, gas-powered leaf blowers. What surprised me most was how the content of their research clearly illustrated the cognitive dissonance that Brewstein had explained to me. 
and how, just how ingrained it was into our daily habits. You know, I think similar to the um, survey that we did on climate change, we once again encountered a situation where, you know, self-interest is really uh, at the forefront of people's um, actions. So, you know, people might understand, and I think from our survey, we learned that people do understand that there are negative implications when you use a leaf blower, a gas powered leaf blower, but the willingness to change. So, you know, that was really our core, our core feeling was that homeowners uh, understand the problem, many of them vote, but when it really comes down to the wire, they don't want to have more restrictions. And it could be that they just generally don't want government interference in their lives, or it could be that they really like having a clean lawn and um, you know the the rationale is that it's only for a half an hour. It's only for an hour. How bad could it be? Um, so they're thinking more in terms of the me and not so much in the we. Along that same vein, uh, we went through our survey respondents and uh, we had a question about how aware somebody is of the harms associated with leaf blowers and if they're aware to list them. And so we went through and we took everybody who said yes they're aware and even gave examples such as noise or they can cause allergies, they're loud, etc. Some of them might not be true, but at least these people are thinking about them from the perspective of what are the harms of leaf blowers. And among that group, 13% still believed that there should not be legislation to oppose them. We deliberately didn't include the social justice aspect of the people operating the leaf blowers. Um, we wanted to see, we discussed the survey extensively for weeks because although it's a fairly simple survey, it was, it was, you know, parsed out to get certain information that we felt would be helpful. And we didn't mention the, the operators and nobody else did either. Now, it could be that we had a confirmation bias and not seeing a question about it. People felt like they weren't going to mention it, but it was interesting to us that nobody, nobody uh, brought up the human toll. I think it's quite interesting when you look at our community and how we address broader issues. We're a very educated community, uh, if you look at any of the statistics. And that comes through with our uh, community's view of the world around us. Like uh, back to the climate change survey that I mentioned, a large proportion of people within the town, the vast, vast majority, believe that it was real, that it was caused by humans over 94%, believe that climate change is caused by humans. And a similar majority believe that climate change is affecting people in the U.S. now, today. And we've seen it happen. But the issue starts to come up when people actually apply that to themselves. While a lot of people in our community realize it's an issue, a much smaller portion in relation actually address it. Less than a third of our respondents strongly agreed that they were actively trying to reduce their carbon footprint. And that was in 2019. You know it's an issue and you're not doing anything. It, it, it's a sort of public apathy that we're noticing through most of our surveys. Here's Dr. Brucey again explaining some of that social and personal apathy. Unfortunately, sometimes change doesn't happen until people are hitting rock bottom, which is unfortunate, until, until things get dire. I think we've seen that with COVID where hopefully this will elicit change and, and public health uh, will respond proactively, continue to. But I think those are aspects of what can um, lead to change. Undoubtedly, the buck stops with each of us, especially at an individual level.
it requires a bit of an uncomfortable introspection. So despite all this research and conversation, how have our own subjects felt about examining their own actions? Do you do much in your lifestyle to, to combat climate change? I could do more. One of the things that I think that I could do and that I think would help others as well is making steps to making it easier. You know, making steps where there is, where it can be fit into my day, where it's structured, where it's consciously, there's a conscious plan, where it doesn't feel disruptive. With, with, with our environmental concern, a few uh, uh, Renex students who, who, who are now in college and I started this program called ASAP Scraps, which is a curbside uh, food scraps recycling program. Essentially, uh, every week, uh, we have a driver uh, go around to, um, it's about 100 houses now within the village, and uh, pick up food scraps, which homeowners separate from their trash. And, and, and that's to increase the existing uh, compost system which the village has set up. Yeah, I did a TED talk last year with um, Dr. Fight and a bunch of other kids, uh, some who are actually in action research now. But yeah, my TED talk was about cutting down on my clothing consumption and trying to make my clothing consumption more ethical. I feel like I'm the type of person who doesn't never really thought about that, but somehow I just have so many clothes and I was just reading so many things and feeling so guilty that I thought I should not not guilt trip people into saying stop buying clothes altogether. I just kind of wanted to say like, you know, if you're thinking about buying something new, think about buying secondhand, think about handing things down. Like not everyone can afford to buy completely ethical fabrics, but if you can, that's an option. You know, just be more conscious about it. But if we each individually make a small change, that can have a huge impact on our carbon footprint. So that's something I would want to change myself. This generation cares deeply about climate. It's the it's the issue of their generation. They know it. Greta Thunberg was really a breakthrough voice. She gave permission for kids to be highly vocal and highly active. And um, I'm really, really proud of these guys. They do a lot of things in school and outside of school to, you know, really make sure that, like, for example, plastic isn't um, used all the time and it's recycled, you know, everything's recycled. It's a, it's a really a powerful thing. And they've influenced me. One year, a couple of years ago, I signed a, a plastic bag commitment that I would never, ever, ever throw out a plastic bag. I would always recycle. And I have to say that when you make those kinds of changes because kids want you to, it sticks. I myself have pledged to only use reusable batteries and to properly dispose of the single-use ones when needed. Our executive producer, Dina Schumacher, has pledged not to use plastic disposable bags, instead using reusable as well. There's obviously more we can all do, but being proactive doesn't require uprooting our ways of life. When it becomes a lifestyle, and integrating into your lifestyle is what would help me and other people. By just even involving small aspects of our daily routines, we're able to contribute to the collective effort of our species. So in closing, we at LMCCast are asking each of our listeners to find that one change to make in their own lives. Together, we can make a global impact.